weekend environments, a sanctuary of sound. Weekend Environments, a sanctuary of sound. This is an audiophile podcast hosted by Mino Cristante. 15 years working for an audiophile manufacturer. And this is how you rehab from a non-audio person to a person who lives in the world of audiophile, lives and breathes audiophile for 15 years. Playing La Mer from the background, because it's going to be summer soon and time to go to France, or at least in your mind. Today joining me is Luke Zirkoff from Illuminous Audio. Join me in another podcast to discuss various topics of audiophile, hopefully of interest to some, and that's to say probably of irritation to others. Good morning, Luke. How are you doing today? Uh, good morning, Mino. Uh, <clears throat> doing great. I always uh, look forward to our visits. Fantastic. I uh, always, always learn something when we talk about various topics, very technical. I know you're the designer, essentially inventor of the Illuminous Audio Gravitas speaker system. And it's an amazing system that is active with two subwoofers and two monitors that are, the monitors are suspended and the subwoofers have a suspension system constructed of aluminum and a very spectacular performance they are as well. I am the worldwide distributor of the speakers. So just so people know that, and also the IVCM, the isolation vibration component module a foot module for the expansion and of your mind and your audio system, which I also provide to wonderful clients all around the world. And so we've been talking and thinking and uh, we encountered this a lot. And so I thought, I thought Luke had a fantastic topic to discuss essentially in the world of audiophile, are we listening to equipment, to gear, to products, or I'm going to modify the topic. Are we listening to recordings or are we listening to music? And that's something we want to explore today. So Luke, you suggested this topic. What prompted you to think, wow, this, let's explore this. I think it's <clears throat> a space that most enthusiasts encounter at some point. Um, oftentimes it takes <clears throat> maybe more than a year until someone arrives at this uh, question mark on their pursuit in audio. And as they acquire better quality equipment, and start finding 
better recordings, sometimes the question becomes, <clears throat> are we seeking out quality recordings? Therefore, they sound better through virtually all equipment. Or is the equipment trying to make up for bad quality recordings? But if the recording itself is deemed to be bad, is it actually a bad recording or does someone just not like that music? So it, yeah. it really opens the Pandora's box of questions. Yeah, that's it's really a large, deep sea of all kinds of uh, technical plankton floating around in it. Sometimes there's huge, <laughs> uh, large container boxes floating around in it as well that have fallen off a container ship uh, that you bang into. I know 15 years in a dark room is nothing to really complain about when you're getting paid to sit around and listen to recordings. However, it was certain recordings that we listened to, and I work for Kane and Gabriel, that of Shinyata research that uh, the very artifacts and the issues about the recording, which perhaps gave it, made it kind of like a photo print of the times in recording, specifically like the 1940s, could tell us more about the technology we were prototyping by the accuracy of the reporting of artifacts in the recording. And part of the beauty of a lot of historical recordings is the actual beauty of the, what today people consider flaws in recording, which have to do with a click here or someone's coughing in the background there or squeak of the floor over here. <clears throat> and uh, in some cases, possibly electronic challenges being encountered in the control room. So what are your thoughts about that? What is that something, the authenticity of error, is that something that uh, is useful or desirable? Um, <clears throat> at least in my personal opinion, I think it is useful and uh, it serves as an indicator of a recording that hasn't been overly processed or altered to where whatever they captured that was intended to be the final take of something, uh, if there is uh, what would be an imperfection, uh, it seems to me that that is proof <clears throat> that the entire recording has not been uh, heavily edited and a lot of times that seems to suck the life out of the music so for oftentimes the more artifacts the better because they were more of a hands-off approach on the, the mastering side yeah I'm glad you mentioned the word mastering because it just occurs to me about the whole misnomer of mastering a recording the mastering of the recording is not you're not mastering the recording. So you're, going, you're going to a recording master, a yeah. sensei of recording, a acclaimed and highly acclaimed successful masterer of the recording, someone who knows how to do two things, create the 
illusion of a better recording and sweep the dirt under the rug. Those two things, those two aspects to be able to hide egregious, distracting issues that cannot be, when you have a recording performance where you may do two or three takes of a song and maybe that first or second was fantastic, but that's where all of the technical issues are. By the time the engineer gets everything dialed into the third one and the fourth one, the life has gone out of the performer. And so the wonderful recording art engineers get it right the second time or first time or the third time. And then the masterer ends up as a masters, she or he masters the recording. They are essentially on a wild ride on top of a big bull trying to not be thrown off of it. And they want to be have dominion over that recording and present it in a way that, of course, technically you want a master to be presumably usable in all media. So that even on back in the day on an AM radio or on a mono stereo or playing from an FM radio station, essentially their same recording could be optimized in all of those media. Today, it's a little bit different. There might be 10 or 12 different masters because now it really isn't possible to have something sound good on a class A stereo and then have it sound good in your iPhone earbud. It really is not really reasonable to ask a person to do that with one single recording. So how do we use, are we sitting there spending all our time listening to the equipment or, and I have a lot of opinionated views about that. What, what are we spending our time doing here? Are we hearing the gear or are we actually having a musical experience? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I think it depends a lot of times on that uh, enthusiast, but it's pretty easy to get pulled into the listening to equipment side because there's so many choices and a lot of, fun to be had trying out different gear and when we try something new and we hear uh, a better or worse rendition of something we like to presume that it was because of that single piece of equipment when in fact it's uh, not a very uh, controlled experiment i suppose where to changing of that one piece may have some effect on the entire system. And that is where it begins to be problematic in terms of um, upgrade-itis on the things of, do I really need a better phono cartridge or is it the phono stage or the wiring? And what really gets tricky is different pieces of music will make those effects greater or smaller or non-existent. So you can almost drive yourself crazy trying to figure out is the equipment better or are some songs just hard to play right? And I truthfully don't know the answer to that because I've listened to all kinds of different songs that some are a little easier to make sound great, at least in my to my ears. And then some songs 
it may be they're just a tough recording and they just I have never heard them sound engaging. But what what has been your experience on that? The technology does really play a big part in getting out of the way of a recorded performance. And it certainly does is a huge uh, bottleneck for the adequate rendition of a recording. But the thing for people who are audio enthusiasts who feel call themselves audiophiles, one of the pitfalls is to watch out for a really good system will indicate to you even more readily how bad a recording is. So it's going to be honest and more authentically accurate. And that's a philosophy that many designers consider to be fictitious, that it's a fantasy, that it's a question of, we're gonna make it sound sweet and pleasurable to you, the listener, and we're gonna do this, that, and the other to color it in such a way that you're going to like the sound that you are hearing, but we really don't think that it's that there is a best situation or a transparent system by any means. We just, we know that that's impossible. You know, it's just a sine wave. Uh, everything that sounds good to you is a distortion to me, uh, but to one person's distortion is another person's glory of music. Um, and practically everyone I've ever run into is a musician, musician who has been the object of recording is the person who's been accused of being a distortionist and the person that is not a musician and uh, is trying to uh, understand what's happening is the sine wave worshiper and uh, you know there's room for for all takers and listeners and that's the wonder of so many the variety of so much audio technology um what has been how have you worked on listening to music in my case i'm just going to put a bit more here and say that in many cases when there was a breakthrough at the business i worked for we both forgot that we were listening to a recording and we were had the opiate take place of a musical or emotional experience, what we believed to be a musical experience. And we forgot what we were doing. And that would be an indication that something good was happening, something positive. And we forgot to be preoccupied with our technical challenges. And so that <clears throat> became something desirable. So when we forget that we're listening to equipment and we get immersed in a musical experience, to me that's, and that's what happens with the gravitas, uh, certainly what happens with the component feet, which is even more challenging when you listen to an audio component, be it an amplifier, or a speaker cable, or a speaker uh, foot component, whatever the accessory or even the speaker system, and you just can't take it out. You don't want to touch it. You don't want to remove it because you've arrived somewhere that's really, it's really fun to experience. That's another indication that 
we're getting somewhere. Yeah, I would say that <clears throat> the uh, process for uh, listening to music through loudspeakers, um, both in our own research on the gravitas and then also in the process of listening to different gear, different amps, phono stages, uh, cables, everything. What seems to be true is what you experienced, Mino, was when we come across some recording that seems to be <clears throat> taking all of our attention away from what might be happening on the physical side of the equipment. And all that our brain is thinking about is how much uh, we're enjoying the music, then whatever that status is, um, would seem to indicate listening to the music and not the gear. And I think that that's sadly a place that not enough listeners spend the time in and are maybe too preoccupied with, I wonder if my amp is good enough or I wonder if these speakers are good enough when they might be good enough. It's just the listener hasn't been able to, to relax and spend enough time and find music that really appeals to them. That's just a theory I have. I could be totally wrong. No, I, I think that <clears throat> um, I'm, I concur with you there about the, the, it's one thing to have quality in your sound system. It's another thing to have quality in your listening and the uh, discernment to decide that uh, you know you're enjoying your system and you accept it the way it is right now, but you probably suspect that the irritating transient fuzz that seems to increase every time your wife turns on the dimmer in the dining room. <laughs> it's a little bit of an irritation that you'd like to be able to deal with on the power line or uh, the sense of the uh, idea that the capacitors in your amplifier really do peak out and they're reaching their tolerance level a lot sooner than they're supposed to or that you feel like the actual way the chassis hums on your power distributor and because of the you know various components that are in there are vibrating at 60 hertz is distracting from the intention of muddy waters singing with a folk guitar those things they can prey upon you. And when you have the ability to change that, it's great to, to find out how to rectify that. And a lot of times, literally with a rectifier to uh, get a better amp, quote, better one that you feel performs, performs better. A lot of time it is the compatibility with components that the crosstalk that takes place right in front of you is typically the, 90 to 99 percent of listening issues or quality issues with the equipment is staring you right in the face you're looking right at it 
in most all cases. It's not in the recording. It's in the components themselves from the weakest link to the, the strongest link. And, uh, and it's the weakest link that typically is a good one to start with. But um, being preoccupied with gear is fun. Looking at gear is fun. And audio enthusiasm is a lot about enjoying the pursuit of the prey, which is the great, first of all, the great app, the great speaker system. And then second of all, the great deal on the app or the speaker system. And the, the um, performance compatibility in your system and how that can play a big role. Uh, so again, we're talking about listening to music and in my humble opinion, we're really not hearing music in almost all sound systems. We're hearing sound that is tricking us into the illusion of a musical experience. In reality, music comes from people and from instruments and from their playing of them and singing. And once you step from there into another domain, analog or digital, now we're trying to get back to that original experience and we can still have it's still an amazing pursuit but uh it's very elusive and i think that the most you can hope for is to have a room and a system that is well to some people a little bit like an opium den it's like coming in and just uh, escaping from the challenges of their world and enjoying some great recordings, some fantastic recordings where the engineers are as artistic as the performers. I think that you're right about the fact of the challenge uh, to have a a playback system be as good as or the exact same as the real event, the actual performance. And it would seem that that's probably not going to be possible with technology. That's just a, a real McCoy thing if that's the real thing and something else is a really, really good copy of it. And I guess the the fun part and the exciting part is the technology today, whether it's loudspeakers or anything else, has gotten to the point where its ability to be so close to the real sound that for our brain, it's oftentimes close enough to where it, it sounds very uh, palpable and authentic and it sounds musical and organic and all the things that really high-end systems do. And I think that's what is so attractive to this, this uh, uh, hobby and interest in gear is that you can uh, eventually reach that kind of level to where you have a listening room that uh, renders music so well that 
it is an escape from reality and we're at that point we're listening to the music and not the gear at all i mean it's the gear is an afterthought uh, at that level yeah i like what you say escape from reality i have been a musician all my life i think since birth maybe the before and a violin teacher almost as long <laughs> uh, and uh the uh so for for folks like me music is an escape into reality from the <laughs> fiction of our normal everyday lives uh, and being dragged kicking and screaming into a job working for pretty much one of the most notable audiophiles in audiophile history uh, was not a pleasant one. But <laughs> you do things to feed your family. And so being having that point of view, nothing that was designed or prototyped or built uh, was satisfactory. And that and he and I had shared that in common. Perhaps he did it from he it wasn't satisfactory to him for his own reasons, but for me it was not satisfactory because it's not musical. And that for better or for worse, a certain kind of dissatisfaction, realizing we're listening to gear whether we like it or not, it created an environment in which good engineering improvements could happen. And we mm -hmm. were pushing our peanut with our nose in the right direction, regardless of what engineering uh, reports were telling us about what our gear was or was not doing for power distribution, signal cable, and for, for power cable. I think one of the most, ironically, one of the most unsung heroes of that product line of Shinyata research, and I'm not endorsing them, nor am I endorsed by them. They probably don't even like that I talk about them. <laughs> but it's still in, I'm, I live in one little corner of the United States that's still a free country, apparently, seems to be. Um, and so I can freely espouse my opinion. But essentially, their signal cables, their analog signal cables, were utterly, exceptionally fantastic, even though they never achieved the grand the, the celebrity that they should have achieved and were regularly beaten out by synergistic research and transparent and the other big players of audio cables even kimber cable and cardis cable still more established still uh, much more uh, well-known product lines than Shinyata research, and yet, wow, uh, what could be, what could happen? And in many times, they were just uh, victims of their own success because they would reveal the inaccuracies, inadequacies of the system by attempting to be authentically delivering the signal. And it's just like they were the kind of cables in which the messenger is immediately killed because the message that the he or she has is not necessarily a good one. You don't want to hear that the amp that you just spent a fortune on actually has a high frequency inability. It's delivering a tremendous amount of froth over the high frequency 
that your other cable was sucking up. And that was why your performance was slightly slow, slightly thick, slightly gelatinous, slightly latte-like, instead of crystal clean mountain water or Moet Chandon 1954, it was not what you expect it to be. So, but I, I love the Illumina system because it is extremely authentic and very honest in a much more significant way because it's not the weakest link. To me, the weakest links are the ability to carry power, it's usually the cables, and then, but the strongest players are the speakers in a system. Because without the speakers, you have no sound. And so it's the very last drop-off point before it enters the room. It has the last word in audio, as it were, and the only word, and so, the gravitas does so many things that, and for those who think that this is a sales pitch for the gravitas system, um, I assure you that it is uh, because it's just a good system. There are many fantastic speaker systems out there. If you feel that um, there are more objective uh, descriptions and discussions about speakers, then I encourage you to actually, maybe you should really take up opium smoking because that's also a fantasy. <laughs> Everyone has their opinions and they also, they send to keep their opinions right in their front right holsters. They can pull out their opinion faster than you can pull out your opinion. And if they can pull theirs out faster than they win. So, but I'll honestly say, and I've always considered myself a non-audiophile, that these speakers are worth having and listening to and enjoying, primarily because of their versatility in different rooms with different musical genres, be it classical or electronica, and their flexibility as far as how you can adapt them to different systems. Uh, so there are many speaker systems that they're very ama amazingly good in their way. Just don't play electronica through them. They'll sound boomy and hokey. And, or don't play uh, system music that has a huge dynamic contrast because this speaker system will completely uh, e egalitarianize everything to where everything sounds the same, no matter how loud or small, soft or Whatever, no matter what the timbre is. So, uh, so what do you think? Are we just fooling ourselves listening to equipment or is there hope for having a great musical experience? I think that the, uh, the equipment is oftentimes the, um, I guess the uh, revealer of what is possible. And I think that listening to equipment is necessary to start figuring out some things in anybody's listening room of achieving better sound. And what is what area of their system is the weakest link? 
And for plenty of systems, um, that can be everything from the power conditioning side and lack thereof. And it can also be at the end of the chain on the loudspeaker side. And quite frankly, that's usually where most weak link is on a lot of systems. And that's for a good reason, uh, in a sense, because really high quality and well-designed capable loudspeakers are not necessarily affordable or, um, or entry level. And so it may take some time for a person to convince themselves of the investment on the loudspeaker side of their system, because it can be a big commitment, but with a, a great loudspeaker, it would take little convincing of what an improvement was made by addressing that weakest link in, in a system. Yeah, that's, uh, I agree with you there. That certainly is an important point to keep in mind. There are just certain things about the Gravitas that visually look different being suspended and then the tweeter being below the mid-range uh, and then using the active support for a pair instead of one. Uh, there's so many amazingly, you know, it's cool and they're cool to look at. They're attractive artistically and they then perform at a superb level. And it's kind of like they're a Trojan horse because they're disguised as monitors. We call them monitor speakers because they are very tiny and small. Uh, but then I remember when I was a kid and walking up to the first stealth fighter, if you ever remember that technology, the first fighter aircraft that could be was completely electronically computer uh, navigated and was invisible to the radar of the time. And it was tiny. It was like the old craft from the old TV show, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, where they had a little escape pod. And that was actually bigger than the stealth fighter, which is it's really a tiny little thing, um, but an extremely effective weapon. The Gravitas is, uh, it's so stealth-like in its narrow posture uh, and which recommends it well for performance, but it looks a lot tinier and smaller and thinner than comparable floor standing speakers. You know, we're, we're really not competing at all, but we're not, we're in a league with floor standing large audiophile level $70,000, $80,000 speakers, but we're not a floor standing speaker or a monitor speaker. <laughs> and so we're not competing against other monitors because there's no monitor speaker that delivers what these deliver or do what they do. So, we're at, so it's kind of a different genre. It looks like a monitor, performs like a floor standing speaker. And that's a little bit of what our clients have had to get their heads around. But once they got their ears around it, they got their heads around it. And that's, uh, but it comes from asking these kind of questions. Are we listening to gear or are we listening to music? But thank you so much for spending some time with me today, Luke.
Luke Zitterkopf is the designer of the Illuminus Audio Gravitas Speaker System and the IVCM Component Foot Isolation Vibration Component Module. Reach out to me at IlluminusAudio.com. My name is Mino Cristante. This has been Weekend Environments, the Sanctuary of Sound. And thanks so much, Luke. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Weekend Environments, a sanctuary of sound.